What is up, all of you fans of a surprisingly underwhelming college football team? My name is Robert Donaldson, and you are all listening to Season 2, Episode number 14 of the All Eyes Podcast. And as always, I'm joined by my excellent co-host, who placed a Big Ten parlay this past weekend that was doomed to failure from the very beginning, before he even hit submit. His name is Thad Nelson, and you can find him on Twitter at tnels 20 but Thad, you know, there was no way that parlay was ever going to hit my man. And what did we say? What did we say? Illinois was going to be the one to do it. I, we said it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to throw one out there and see what it what it does. <laughs> and if that's what it took, uh, that bombing uh, right from the get-go, literally, you know, 10 minutes into uh, college football Saturday, if that's what it took to get the Hawkeyes back on track, with a win, I will take it and uh, consider it, pop it in the donation bucket. Just that twisted logic of, well, you know, I bet on uh, Minnesota, so if they lose, therefore Iowa will win. Um, you know, and at least that game kind of ended it, that end of that parlay for you, so you weren't heartbroken by Michigan State getting walloped by Purdue, which just kind of felt good. You know, it was like, at least it's not just us. <laughs> well, and that one, too, we, we mentioned it. Post pod, I think you see that line, I think minus three or minus three and a half. And you're like, well, that looks fishy. Uh, that's awful tempting. So, and then it's like, well, maybe I'll just do money line with it. You know, just Michigan State to win, not to cover. And Purdue does their thing. Uh, if you're a top five team, you do not want to play against Purdue, or at least top three, even. You do not want to face Purdue. Uh, if you're struggling that's when you want to play Purdue and they did what they do and took down another top rated team yeah there's like really no kind of identity that Purdue um, does well against and no identity that they do poorly against really it was just kind of like they played well against Iowa they played bad against Wisconsin and they played well against Michigan State um which is very interesting I mean and that just kind of puts the context of like what college football is in you know into focus you know, there's a lot of different things that you're managing with a lot of young players. And I think Iowa got a really big dose. Iowa's fan base got a really big dose of it this past weekend against Northwestern. But, you know, week to week, you don't really truly know what you're going to get because sometimes the result ends up being sort of not based on luck, but maybe based on circumstances that appear in the game that don't in the next game. And, you know, you need coaching and you need players to step up in certain spots. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. In the NFL, it's a lot more structured. And, you know, the the wackiness of it is a little bit more tame, even though, you know, this past week in the NFL, you have the Bills going down against the Jags and uh, the Denver Broncos with Dak back or, or, or with Dak, Dak back on the Cowboys. You know, Denver Broncos smoke them. But, you know, that's kind of like the anomaly, like those weeks in the NFL um, in college football. It happens, you know, game by game. And I think Iowa fans are really seeing that a lot this year when you compare a game like Northwestern um, to a game like Maryland that we saw earlier in the year. It just all over the map. And and we see it in college football. We saw it this last weekend in the NFL. And just if you have a couple things change, you know, it's it's one or two little things and how that can just totally change a game. And maybe it's a a big special teams play or it's an injury or whatever it is. Maybe it's, you know, a tipped ball that instead of being intercepted goes through someone's hands and 
and ends up caught for a big play. Sometimes it's just one wacky thing that throws it all off. And that's, it feels like that's been Iowa's season, you know, encapsulated as well. It's like one or two things throws the whole thing off or, you know, just gets the ball rolling. Thinking back to that Maryland game, you know, one interception or two interceptions early and it just snowballs. And the same thing kind of happened in the Iowa State game, you know, back-to-back interceptions, you know, a big fumble by Brees Hall, and that game totally changes as well. So just kind of fitting for the way this Iowa season has went. Yeah, and, you know, the Iowa defense once again saved this Iowa, well, offense really, I mean, or this Iowa team and just as a whole. Um, Not only did they play a lights out against Northwestern despite, you know, a lot of three and outs, a lot of short possessions, um, and and also on top of that, forcing turnovers, giving at least Iowa a shot to stay in and control the game. You know, we talk about it every, all the time when we're talking about the defense and their ability to force turnovers. They just make the plays that are in front of them um, a lot of times, especially with those. When, especially when it comes to interceptions, the tackling in this game, we'll get into that because there's a lot of issues there. I think. Um, and a lot of issues that could present itself against Minnesota and teams down the line. Um, but as just a, as a matter of, you know, being able to catch a ball as a defensive back or a linebacker when, you know, it's a tough catch for anybody, any player on the field, and you're just able to make that play, that is such an underrated feature. I mean, when you go back, and I don't want to focus on a whole lot of other teams um, outside of Iowa, but you go back to the Penn State-Illinois game, that nine-overtime insanity um I believe it was in overtime number two Penn State had gotten a field goal and they were on defense you know trying to hold Illinois um to win the game and a pass gets thrown up it was a miscommunication with uh Brandon Peters or whoever's at Illinois for quarterback um and one of the wide receivers on the outside and I believe it was Tracy Porter Jr. a guy that we've highlighted as being a good man cover guy and a physical guy it hit him square in the chest on like a lofted ball and it drops and, you know, that's a third down play. If he picks it off, Penn State wins the game. And instead, Illinois hits a field goal and obviously nine overtimes later ends up going on to win. But those plays do matter. Interceptions and a pass breakup, you know, in circum- like certain circumstances, a pass breakup is just as, as, as great. It's very valuable. But when there's a chance to intercept the ball, you got to do it and Iowa's defensive backs just do it no matter who's back there. They have guys all over the field who can make a play in coverage. And and they make it consistently. And that's what's incredible about it. And, you know, we saw Dane Belton make a great play on that deep ball early where he's kind of beat, but he just undercuts the receiver and goes and, you know, acts like a receiver on that play. And Jamari Harris getting his first interception, just being in the right position. He's being deep. Dane Belton was on a blitz, forced a quarterback to just throw one up, and he's there in position, and he catches it while the receiver tries to knock it out of his hands, and he holds on to it. How many times do you see defensive backs get in that situation, and the receiver breaks it up or knocks it out of their hands because they're thinking about a return or something else? So the consistency that the defense has done that all season has been really incredible and and I can't really remember anything like it even when I was had big interception years from somebody like a Des King or a Josh Jackson there are drops in there there are chances they could have had for additional ones and I just don't feel like that's happened with this defense and when the offense gives them when the opposing offense I should say 
gives them an opportunity for those interceptions, they're taking advantage of it and giving this offense then at least a chance uh, with either good field position or to just hold on to a lead. Yeah, and you know, there's always this cliche that goes around with like defensive backs that say, uh, you know, when they have when they have a dropped interception, like maybe an announcer or somebody on Twitter will be like, "Well, that's why he's on defense," and then sort of laugh it off, right? That's been a cliche thing forever. Oh, that's why he's not playing receiver. You know, he has the athleticism to do it, but he he just can't catch the ball. That can't be the case anymore with how often teams are throwing the ball down the field and going for explosive plays. You got to be able to make those plays when they're actually there. And you see guys in the NFL all the time that go into the league, have great coverability, and then even have great coverability in the, in the league. And if they can't intercept passes, they get shit. They don't get those big contracts. Um, one of my, you know, one of the guys, um, and I'm blanking on his name, he, he played for the Vikings, Xavier. Uh, uh, Rhodes? Gee, yeah, Xavier Rhodes. Yep, for the longest time. One of the best guys at just being able to stick in man coverage and pre- press coverage in the NFL, coming out of Florida State, playing for the Vikings. But when it came to actually being able, able to intercept the pass, it was always hitting the turf. Like, And it was just pass breakups. And yeah, you're in position, but he got shipped out of town because eventually, you know, if you're not adding playmaking ability and you lose a step, you know, you're not really going to be that valuable, um, especially with teams that, like I said, are throwing the ball around the field. Um, so, you know, just the takeaway from this Iowa, this past Iowa game, it was nice to see, you know, Iowa actually getting plus um, in the turnover column, like differential this week after a couple games where they were, you know, fumbling the ball, they were throwing interceptions and really weren't really reciprocating it on the other end. And that's what this Iowa team needs to be successful. The offense is going to be what it's going to be. Uh, we'll talk about some highlights and lowlights, but they need the defense to be that group that goes out there and makes those plays. Or in the case of following that blocked punt to put the fire out. And I mentioned it last time, you know, the defense, if they have to go out and do it once, they can go put out a fire once, which they did force Northwestern into kicking a field goal in that situation and not give them seven when at that point their offense had shown no life no chance of scoring Iowa was dominating that game but it kind of let Northwestern back in it but it didn't fully let them back in it they block a punt they score a touchdown it's a a one score game if if they would have done that the defense goes out there holds them to a field goal it stays a two score game and that's what this defense can do They did it against Northwestern once, short field, hold them on a goal line stand, but they just can't be put in that situation over and over again. And when you only put them in a bad spot once, odds are they're going to come through for you. And that's just been how this defense has been all season and really how so many Iowa defenses have been over the last decade. Yeah, and you know now that we're just talking right on the defense, even though I think the storyline of this game lies on the other side of the ball. You know, let's keep talking about the defense for a second and just talk about a lot of the missed tackles in this game. And it's not like Northwestern was taking advantage of these missed tackles and and gashing Iowa's defense left, right, and center. But there were a lot of plays in this game that it it just it just got you aggravated a little bit like especially cuz it's a close game and you know you're not putting on the defense cuz the defense played extremely well as a whole but you also have to you know manage or manage or measure um their performance against the offense they were going up against 
right? This Northwestern team sucks. Like they're they're very bad. And the fact that, you know, they were missing on these easy tackles, routine tackles out in space, I think it has something to do with just the the confidence kind of being sucked out of them the past two weeks. You know, when you you rewind all the way to that Iowa State game or some of these early games in, in the season when they were rolling, they were moving around the field with so much confidence. Like Jack Campbell was taking these hard angles, hitting them on the dot. Um, the coverage from Dane Belton, Justin Jacobs, all across the board was tight. It was physical. They were playing the catch point. And then the Purdue game happened. And it kind of felt like they got punched in the mouth a bit. And I think it actually kind of started in the beginning of that Penn State game as well. But the Purdue game really like exacerbated it. And, you know, then Northern Wisconsin happens where they're constantly putting in bad positions and they're on the field a lot. And Wisconsin sort of gashes them. And, you know, I think there were some like residual effects that branched into this game, despite there are a lot of highlights. You know, there were some times where, you know, Seth Benson was out in space or, you know, Jack Kerner was out in space or Jamari Harris was out. Oh, you know, that's if that's one area Jamari Harris needs to work on this offseason, it's going to be tackling if he's going to be stepping up in the next corner spot, because, you know, there were a lot of notable points for those those guys and more guys in particular that. It was just bad tackling all across the field. And a lot of it, when I'm watching so much in that fourth quarter with getting guys in open space, I said it, I just thought the defense looked so tired. And it's one of those things that you go look at the the box score, and it's really deceptive because you look at the box score and you go to the fourth quarter. Time of possession in the fourth quarter. Iowa, 7 minutes, 25 seconds. Northwestern seven minutes, 35 seconds. So you're like, oh, you know, should they be that tired? But then you go to plays, total plays, Northwestern 22 plays, 151 yards, basically all their offense for the game in those last couple drives, Iowa, 14 plays, 47 yards. Now, three of those plays were the end of the game, Iowa taking a knee. So add five. So it was basically 11 plays for 52 yards. So you take away that and it's, okay, it's 11 plays to 22 plays. And that's really, I thought that fourth quarter, Iowa looked defense looked tired on defense with linebackers and safeties chasing plays. Defensive linemen were not able to get pressure because they had been chasing uh, Marty around really chasing him around and beating him around for three quarters. And then they look gassed in the fourth quarter. And that's a symptom, yeah, of the defense, but that was a symptom of what the offense did going 0 for 3 for third or 0 for 4 for third downs in that quarter and going 0 for 3 on third downs in the third quarter. So that second half, I was 0 for 7 on third downs, simply not able to keep a drive going to allow that defense to rest. And even though time of possession says, oh, it was very close, that's just game clock. We think about the amount of time that Iowa defense was really on the field, and they were exhausted by the end of that game. Yeah, and you know, when and we talked about it in the Purdue game, we talked about it in the Wisconsin game, despite them scoring in the 20s, um, it really was a symptom of Iowa's offense just constantly going three and out or putting them in bad positions and in this game, you know, there weren't the turnovers for Iowa, 
But the drives that didn't work, they were all going three and out, it felt like. Or at least maybe one first down and then immediately after it, a third, uh, three and out. And, you know, you're not going to see the, the peak of talent or execution from, you know, the great players Iowa has in their defense, you know, throughout the entire game if they're constantly on the field. Because, yeah, it's, it's kind of a physically um, tolling sport. And if you're always going to be out there taking hits every single play or delivering hits every single play, you're going to get worn down. It's just kind of like a human behavior. You know, have you ever, you know, worked seven hours of your eight hour shift or whatever? And, you know, that seven, that last hour just kind of feels like forever. That's what they're going through in that fourth quarter. If the Iowa offense isn't really truly milking the clock in an efficient way. And, and they go so much to that milking the clock. And we'll get to the offense talking about what they did a little bit later, but it was a milk the clock situation, but it just put the defense in a tough spot. And yeah, in the fourth quarter, Iowa was able to punt the ball deep or at least inside the 20 yard line a couple times, but it still just puts so much pressure on the defense because they're constantly in that one or two score game in a situation against Northwestern where it should have been, you know, a three to four score game at that point in the fourth quarter. So allowing a team to be one big play, one or two broken tackles away from being right back in it, you know, maybe one or two plays back in it, it's just such a tough situation to say, okay, the defense, you're under that microscope, your margin of error is so thin. Yeah, and you know, it felt like a lot of the the big plays that Iowa actually made on defense almost went to waste a lot of time. You know, and with Northwestern, the reason they were in the game is because when something big happened for them that was kind of out out of the norm or unexpected, they actually made their, those plays. Um, and you know, it's kind of hard to avoid the topic of Iowa's offense because, well, one, it's been the center of focus since that since the third drive of the game. Um, two now, you know, Spencer Petrus benched but you know for and maybe the least they're alluding to injury reasons and you know he's not you know being listed on the depth chart to start this week for against Minnesota but Alex Padilla came in and he was slinging around he was very loose with it um as far as just you know kind of he wasn't like pressing I guess is what the best way to say it he was just kind of out there slinging the ball um making one reach like one read and go kind of throws and Honestly, a lot of times he wasn't even being asked to make a read. It was just progression and, and manufactured space, which, <laughs> you know, saying that out loud drives me crazy. What have we been calling for for weeks? I mean, not before Penn State, we've been calling for this kind of thing. Um, before Maryland, we were calling for this kind of thing. The freeze drag screens, um, we saw a lot of those this week. Usually we only see one of those per game, if that. We saw end arounds. We saw, <laughs> you remember my joke about, I, you know, my first six plays of the game would be all play action out of the I formation? What happened when Padilla came in? Like, every single play action call that they ran was out of the I formation with Monty Potabom on the field. And again, you have to be able to throw the ball with him on the field somehow. And what happened? They were very effective with it. It was their most effective way of offense. Um... You know, it it just it's mind blowing that it took this long to implement some of the things that they immediately implement implemented with Padilla, and obviously they did it because you know they're trying to simplify the game for a young quarterback, making it having to come in on the spur notice in a game where they need to win, 
and they were just trying to make it as as easy, less complicated as they possibly can. Um, and guess what? It worked simplifying the offense. Imagine that. And all the things that we talked about last week started to happen once he went in the game. And it's just so crazy to think because Petrus is in there, and obviously the from Kirk Ferentz afterwards, he mentioned you know, Petrus didn't look very good in warmups and they were a little concerned um, really before the game started. So you don't know if that changed their idea of play calling, but it starts off, you know, run the ball, run the ball, pass, you know, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, maybe you throw a pass and then run the ball first down. Okay. Second down pass. And then third down have to pass. And it was just the same, you know, run the ball up into the teeth of an eight man box or a lack of numbers box, and now have to throw it in those past situations. And what comes in right away? So Padilla comes in, you mentioned. So there's a play-action throwback screen to the tight end. Then it's back to I-formation, play-action pass. And I mentioned I thought Iowa really could go a lot of 11 personnel to get those three receivers, but what they did was actually go with 20. So running back, fullback, but no tight end in three receivers. But it's that same look. It emptied the box a little bit. And if Iowa goes play action, those linebackers or a safety or a corner, they're not so close to the line. So you get those corner blitzes or those nickel slot blitzes or the linebacker blitzes. They're coming from further away. So even if they did bring a blitz, there's time to pick it up. Whereas earlier, the line was so condensed with Iowa in 21 or 22 personnel that those guys had such a quick and short space to get to Spencer Petras. Iowa called 17 or Iowa called 18 play action plays this game. And they ran seven screen plays, two running back screens, four receiver screens, and then the one tight end screen. I mean, these are the things that they needed to be doing long ago. Get those receivers in open space. You have, of your top five receivers, four of them are probably best suited out of the slot. So get them in the open field. You have a running back that can make plays out of the run, out of the backfield. Get him involved. They, they got him going down the seam. You know, all those things we've said to simplify it, but also to keep those safeties from firing the second they see the quarterback turn his back. And that's what they were able to do. They were able to take advantage of, especially those linebackers. I mean, those clips when Iowa's in 20 personnel with Potabom in the game and Padilla play fakes, two to three linebackers every time take two false steps to the middle. And then what did, was Iowa able to do? Hit that skinny post or hit a slant right behind him. And it's the exact things we've been mentioning. And it's also the receivers were catching the ball, being able to move upfield. We didn't have those deep sideline throws where the where every catch is horizontal. Even on one or two of the shallow crosses, they were able to get not completely parallel to the line of scrimmage. They were able to work their way upfield a little bit. So all these things that we've been asking for, magically when the backup quarterback comes in, show up. So is it they don't trust? Petrus to make those plays? Do they not think he can play action or he can make those quick throws? Or are they trying to simplify it, like you said, for the backup quarterback? But newsflash, the starting quarterback 
had not been playing very well and had been shackled in this system. So why all of a sudden change? And especially for that first half and then the second half, you know, go back to mostly running on first down and just trying to eat up clock. I'll answer that question for you right now. What it tells you is that the Iowa offense had turned into a convoluted mess with Spencer Peters because they tried to add layers of complexity that didn't need to be there. You know, a lot of different formations or a lot of different um, like motions pre-snap that really didn't lead to an end. Uh, a lot of different things that um, they were trying to take advantage of Spencer's arm more with the spacing. When all, in reality, you can do all that and that's nice. And you, but manufacture some separation for your guy. You know, again, you said it. Spencer Petrus was struggling coming in this game, not because you know he wasn't really you know making throws accurately. He was actually pretty good in placement. He's been good in placement pretty much all this season. But when the offensive line is breaking down the way that it is, and you're going up against good pass rushers week after week. And, you know, the, the safeties, again, are triggering down on your run game. This is why I brought up the point of I would just run six straight play actions out of the I formation because you have to get Northwestern. You have to take advantage of the defense when they're just selling out like that. Um, and eventually they're going to cool off and say, well, we can't be triggering down like that. You know, we have to at least play somewhat conventional style defense, but maybe put an emphasis on the run game. And they did. There were some times in this game, especially in the second half, where Northwestern was still triggering from that safety spot, but it was a lot slower. It was about three yards down the field that they were meeting in the box instead of at the line of scrimmage or below or before the line of scrimmage, like we've seen from Purdue and like we've seen from Wisconsin these past two weeks. And you saw it. I mean, all it really takes for the run game to get going is just a handful of plays that, you know, are properly executed. Um, there was some clever play design in there with with some split flow action and with a fullback lead and some end around stuff that really worked, uh, including the Arlen Bruce touchdown, which I thought was a beautifully designed play out of the offset eye. Um, again, you know, if you have to find a way to be creative with Monty Potabama in the game because, yeah, he's a great blocker. And, you know, that's an added piece that you can open up your running game with. Um, and you can really sell play action with him on the field um, to be very manipulative. But you have to show that you can diversify and not just run outside zone or inside zone. And, you know, before this week, that hadn't been the case at all. So this was definitely a step in the right direction in terms of that first half. But again, in the second half, it kind of felt like they fell back into some of those, well, let's just try to control the ball and really not be overly aggressive because we have this lead that's built up. And you mentioned just some of the variety in the run game. Uh, Tyler Goodson had 21 carries. 16 were out of kind of more of a zone look, but they even mixed up. It wasn't all just outside zone. There was inside zone. There was lead zone right up the middle, as you mentioned, where they're just basically trying to get right behind. You know, he's getting behind Potabom and Colby and Linderbaum right up the middle to attack that, you know, interior of the Northwestern defense. And then he had a couple big ones on some gap schemes, some counter looks that have always given Northwestern trouble. I mean, I think back to Akram Wadley, how many big plays did he make on that misdirection or counter look against Northwestern? And we saw that again out of Tyler Goodson this week. It doesn't take a lot to figure out just some wrinkles, as you mentioned, that can work for this team. 
we saw Keegan Johnson once again lead the wide receivers in snaps and targets. We saw Arlen Bruce get involved in the run game, as you mentioned, on that touchdown. We had another jet sweep on a second and short to Charlie Jones, who's able to get to the corner. So just mixing in and keeping those guys fresh. And early in the game, they went play action, and they had Tyrone Tracy in the slot in a three-receiver set with Arlen Bruce and Keegan Johnson out wide. Like that's a that is a great three receiver look. You are so they have so much versatility in those three that they can go to. And they got Tracy in the slot. Now on the first time they ran it, Padilla threw it short in the dirt, but then he they came back to it two possessions later, hit a nice play for 15 yards. So just some of that variety in getting three receivers on the field, but not always out of the same look. So you have three receivers, but you have your fullback. So teams have to be a little bit more hesitant because even if you go play action, all three of those might be running some sort of deep route. So you just have options. We mentioned you have to be able to stretch this defense or opposing defenses horizontally and vertically. And there had been no verticality to what they have done in the past. And, you know, I I do think you kind of nail it with the fact that this offense before this week Really, you know, we talked about it. It does lack a lot of verticality. And what did they do? You know, they got Tyler Goodson out and, and running the scene out of the backfield, which I think is important. Not just spreading him out to the outside, because as we kind of like talked about it last week, he's not the kind of athlete that you want matched up with a corner. You want him matched up with linebackers or a potential maybe a rusher off the edge. And they really did take advantage of that matchup. They took advantage of their tight ends being able to run out to the flat and make plays out there. But they also took advantage of, finally, the fact that their receiving core is built up of a lot of finesse-style guys who are very quick and sudden and have that sort of like long-winded speed on the edge like a Charlie Jones or a Tyrone Tracy or you know a Nico or a Ganey even at times. Um, but I think Arlen Bruce... I don't know about you. This guy provides such a dynamic because I think you can start using this guy in a lot of different unique ways. Um, Keegan Johnson's the leader of this this wide receiver core um, just from the ability to really do anything that they want him to do. But what this kind of leads back to, all this kind of talk about what plays we've been seeing, it really comes down to the fact that I think Iowa's offense before this week, before Alex Padilla got forced in and really shoehorned the play calling to what it became is that Iowa's offense just became too convoluted. And sometimes, you know, what we see from the most successful offenses in college football, whether it's Oklahoma, whether it's, you know, in Alabama, whether it's um, trying to think of maybe some more fast paced offenses of the past, like an Oregon or a UCLA, um, when they're actually scoring points and things like that. You know, they take the thinking out of the quarterback's hands and just say, this is your throw. You know, if, if it's completely blown up, then, you know, make the smart decision and go to your check down. But usually it's only like two route designs and they take the thinking out of it. You know, with Iowa State and their offense, we talk about it all the time with, you know, it's basically a one progression kind of thing. And then when Iowa's offense sort of breaks it up with their great defensive play we saw Brock Purdy shudder and, and sort of break down and, and make some bad ill-advised throws or try to escape the pocket and get sacked on long-winded stunts but with Iowa's offense I think that what they've done is they've just completely eliminated that aspect of football from their play calling 
um, until until they were shoehorned into it. Because I always think that should be an element into your your scheme, even if you do have an intelligent quarterback. You know, you watch Joe Burrow at LSU. Um, there were a lot of plays where he was just saying, you know what, I have a matchup that I like. I'm throwing it there. He made that decision pre-snap. There's a lot of plays in Iowa's system where no matter what the, the matchups are, no matter what the defense aligns at, they're still asking a Spencer Petras to make your progressions. If it's not there, hitch to the second one, hitch to the third. And what happens is those long developing plays end up getting sacked because his offensive line struggles and pass pro. You know, we saw it again this week. We saw it with Jack Plum. We saw it with Nick DeYoung. We saw it with Keller Schott. Um, we saw it with even Connor Colby at times. But they were able to get around that this week because a lot of the plays were just built in one route or one cut go, one progression go. Um, you know, the big play to this on the sideline to Keegan Johnson. I do think that's a kind of throw that we don't really see from Spencer because it has a true 50-50 jump ball kind of scenario and Padilla let it just loose. You know, he has great touch. He was able to give Keegan Johnson a shot at it and it was great placement against a corner that was trying to face guard. And then Keegan Johnson, like we said, you know, he's he's a very talented receiver on top of that. So, you know, and this is going to be, I think we have to really address this on the pod right now, is there's a lot of conversation now where this is Alex Padilla's team. You know, that's sort of the narrative that's going around. I think a lot of Iowa fans have bought into this as being, you know, this is our guy uh, until he proves he's not. Um, but I, man, you know, that just kind of feels so unfair to me um, just for Spencer Petrus's sake because we've been seeing him grow all year long. And then until, you know, the offensive line has started to completely break down and, the receivers were dropping passes until they couldn't get off the field because, you know, they were um, facing up against tough defenses. There was no simplified play calling. It was a lot of long developing plays that didn't go anywhere. The run game couldn't get itself off the ground. And, you know, inserting Alex Padilla in there, him alone doesn't change the fact that the ground game sucked before this week. You know, he hasn't changed the ground game. It was the play action element that changed the ground game for Iowa in this game. So, just to say that Alex Padilla, you know, there's a lot of blanket statements of Alex Padilla came in and he gave this team a spark. In a way, yeah, but a lot of that is kind of just, you know, simpleton bullshit, in my opinion. And you mentioned the throw to Keegan Johnson. It was a 50-50 ball, but the exact right read. Northwestern had two high safeties, but both of them were right on the hash marks. So you've got that one-on-one to the sideline. You can make that throw. It's it's an aggressive throw, but not an ill-advised throw. And that's the key with that. So a great read on his part to go make that aggressive throw, give Johnson that 50-50 ball, which he's shown he's got the body control in the hands. You feel like that's you know a 70-30 chance with him that he's going to be able to make that throw. So for Padilla to continue, he's going to have to keep making those smart, aggressive throws push the ball downfield on play action, but when something's available underneath, be willing to take it. Because there was a third down, and I think it was like third and three in the third quarter, where I think he could have hit the underneath and got seven yards, but he took a deep shot to Charlie Jones, incomplete, now Iowa has to punt. And that doesn't that's not a wrong thing. Like, Iowa needs to stretch the field, but that's something 
that's going to be interesting to see going forward. Do the coaches hammer him on that? Hey, you got to take get the first down. Or are they willing to let the ball get downfield for that chance of the big play? And I thought it was a good read. Like, I had no problem. He had Charlie Jones one-on-one screaming down the field. And at least when he missed, he missed it over the top. Like, it was a safe miss. So, I'm okay with that. So, what's this offense, if Padilla stays at the helm, what's it look like long-term? Does it revert back to the play calling they had with Petrus? Or does it stay with this? Because regardless who's the quarterback, it needs to look more like what it looked like in that first half. You know, the, the, the passing game is not complicated. You know, you, you know, you talked about being aggressive with that decision to, uh, to throw the ball to Keegan Johnson down the sideline. And yeah, that's definitely an aggressive throw based on just how tight the coverage is. But guess what? You know, what we know about Northwestern coming into this game is is that when they're when they don't have a cloud player playing over top of their corners, they face guard. They don't try to play, you know, a trail technique like Iowa does in their zone where they're trying to make a play on the ball. You can't intercept the ball with your back. Okay? And that's where Northwestern lives on. They they face guard. So those matchups on the sideline when you have a freak athlete like Keegan Johnson against one of their corners who I imagine in, in scouting reports, Iowa doesn't think very highly of because I don't. Uh, I imagine you don't either. Um, you take advantage of that matchup when you get a shot. You trust your 50-50 balls, you know, in quotations, 50-50 balls are actually like 65-35 um, when you have, you know, just a clean release off the front. If they jam them off the line, maybe you immediately just transition to your next progression, whether it's a check down or or it's another underneath route in the, in the sort of the hitch progression. But if there's a clean release, you should know where that ball is going. Maybe have an eye on the safety, but it didn't even feel like Padilla was really tasked with having an eye on the safety in this game or on the blitz. He was just out there letting it loose, and that's an element that Iowa's passing game should always have. And he didn't, you know, pre-snap, he knew the safety wasn't going to be an issue there. And the one on that pass to Goodson where he hit him up the seam. When you got the end zone camera, it was really great to see because his eyes go to the right. He's got Laporta on a little five yard stop route, little hitch route. And his eyes go to the right to that. And the safety drifts just enough that it opens up that window to Goodson. So he can make those plays where, you know, he is manipulating the safety a little bit to open those up. And then he can fit it into that window downfield, but they just have to find, as you said, make it simple. You know, that's an easy read. He looks to the right a little bit. Laporta's that first look on the quick route. If the safety slides over, Goodson's going to win that one-on-one with the linebacker. And here's the other big thing in this game. There wasn't going to be that much of a consistent threat of a pass rush. Northwestern just has not been able to generate that. So while Iowa has struggled especially at tackle and pass protection. And then all of a sudden Mason Richmond goes out and that exasperates it a little bit. You get a little more nervous in those sets, but they just, truth be told, it wasn't going to be a big issue against Northwestern regardless, but they did make some adjustments. There were times they kept Sam Laporta in to give Nick DeYoung a little bit of extra help off the edge. So there was, you know, when they wanted to take some of those shots, They were able to manipulate some of those pass protections because in the middle right now, they're rock solid with Schott and Linderbaum, obviously, 
And then the way Connor Colby's playing at right guard, you feel really confident in him to make the majority of his pass protections at this point. I mean, he might have some errors here and there, but he's a big athletic dude who's starting to get more comfortable and more confident. So you can just generate, or maybe not even generate, you can kind of slide some of those packages with a running back or with a tight end to help the tackles. And now that's also going to give you the chance to go downfield. Because while Padilla is more mobile than Petrus, he's not a running quarterback. So it's not like he's going to he's gonna fix any of the pass protection issues. Can he maybe slide in the pocket a little bit? Hopefully, we'll probably find out more in the next week or two if he's still at quarterback. Yeah, and I think you said it, you know. There weren't really a lot of complex reads for Padilla in this game. I think he had one high-low checkdown read in this entire game. And it was a successful play, but he hit the first progression on that play. On that play. And, you know, you also said it with, you know, adding in a tight end to the pass protection slot or a running back. And out of those um, 22 alignments or 21 alignments or 20 alignments, you know, there were some times where Monty Potabom was that added-in pass uh, protector and he did a pretty decent job. If you're solidifying all your gaps, well, one, obviously, you know, you're more protected, but you're more protected because the offensive linemen, you know, your five starters who are in there have less less gaps to really worry about because, you know, they can divulge or, uh, you know, disperse uh, responsibility to one of those added in pass protectors. And what that does is allow them to be less susceptible against double moves, spin moves, um, rip moves, things like that. They're really just tasked with, you know, staying in front of their guy. And that's a less responsibility that makes them play a lot more loose. And, you know, when you do that, obviously the passing game, um, you have less progressions to go. But what we just talked about is long developing plays haven't been working. And, you know, Alex Padilla, once he gets inserted in there, yeah, they might add in seven pass protectors. But they're having him go on the first progression and then immediately going to check down anyway. So you might as well do it. Yeah, and that's not a slight on what Padilla was doing. You know, he was going in there and being effective on it. And I was really pleasantly, you know, I don't want to say surprised, but it was nice to see because to this point when he's been put in the game and granted it's been garbage time the last two years when he gets in and it's usually with a second string offensive line. So there's issues there, but it hasn't been crisp. And, you know, right away it looked crisp. You know, he threw that play action quick screen to Laporta. Then he got a a play action down the middle. He had a play action rollout where he's able to hit Arlen Bruce. He did the same thing with Keegan Johnson on a comeback on a rollout. And he looked in rhythm and crisp right away. So credit to him for executing what they were asking him to do. And also just for being ready. I mean, he's a sophomore, but It's his third year in the system now, so they really don't have to change a lot of things. He can still help with protections. He can still help with, you know, getting the offense, getting everybody lined up. And only one time did Iowa have to call a timeout in a uh, play clock situation. And that's something with a new quarterback that sometimes you have to deal with. So credit to him for handling all the administrative jobs, because we've mentioned in the past a lot of what Iowa wants their quarterback to do is that administrative role in and out of the huddle, get everybody lined up, get them out of bad plays. And Padilla did that. He did it effectively. And when they let him make 
early down play action reads and play action calls, he delivered time and time again. Yeah. And, you know, you said you weren't um, that surprised. It was just it was nice to see. I was fucking surprised because, <laughs> I mean, he came out playing confident. Um, he was slinging balls into windows that a, 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 a normal QB might be a lot more hesitant to throw over like a, a, another linebacker dropping into a depth, even though the window is there. A lot of guys don't trust their touch or don't trust their arm velocity. And obviously he's a guy, unlike Spencer, who relies on touch more than arm velocity to fit those throws. So, you know, different um, different uh prog or what it was a different um progress or like different like means to get to an end is kind of how it goes with Padilla and uh, Petrus. Obviously the playbook is going to be a little bit smaller. We're going to see some different play calls even this upcoming week and, and even moving for, for, uh, forward. Wow, I'm struggling to speak. Um, even moving forward if Padilla stays at the quarterback spot as starter because what Iowa's offense has been leaning on a lot this year is Petrus's big arm being able to really space out the field for the receivers in the, in the screen game. And then that's how they've tried to open up the running game. I think what's what's going to be a staple of this Iowa offense moving forward is going to be a lot of those naked boot rollout kind of throws and the throwback screens. And when they do line up and empty like they did one time in this entire game, you know, they ran a, a freeze drag screen out of it. Um, and that's a cool little wrinkle that we haven't seen all year. We've seen the drag screen multiple times, but it was never out of empty. And, you know, those are the kind of little different wrinkles that we're probably going to have to see with Padilla just to make up for that lack of great arm velocity. And the other thing that I noticed right away, and it reminded me a little bit of when Iowa made the change from Jake Rudock to C.J. Beathard, in terms of Iowa has some built-in, I don't know if I want to call them RPO, check with me, some situations where the quarterback can hand off, but on the perimeter there's a slant or there's a little bubble screen, something like that. And Padilla has shown he's willing and more than willing to throw those. When he came in in garbage time, he threw a couple of those. This game, he came in and he hit CJ Jones for a 12 yard slant on one of those. You know, fake everybody's run blocking, the cornerback's eight yards off, and he's got Jones on an easy slant. And we just haven't, Petrus, we just don't see that with consistency. You see some of those bubble actions, you see some of those slants on the outside, but they're almost always a handoff. So Padilla a little bit more willing to try those. Now, hopefully it doesn't backfire. He did take a sack on one of them. He pulled out in the right tackle or right guard, got kind of pushed back into him, stepped on his foot, went for a short sack. But it does open things up where they have that or they can throw maybe a quick bubble to Bruce or to Tracy and get those guys in the open field if the defense is going to try to stack the box. And Iowa needs that. If you go three receivers and instead of rolling a safety or instead of kind of keeping a linebacker split wide, if they start cheating into the box, that needs to be that quick, you know, throw it out for that bubble and let those guys make plays. Those are built in things that he obviously seems comfortable in executing and that Iowa needs to take advantage of because with the run game struggles for much of this season, that's just an extension of the run game. And if you're gonna if the defense is gonna play to the center of the field, we need to get that horizontal stretch going in there as well. Because then if the safeties are feeling that, that opens up the over the top stuff. 
Yeah, what's been sort of the story this entire season for Iowa's offense, outside of a couple games, is the defense kind of dictates what they're able to do. That should never be the case when you're on offense. It should always be the offense dictating what the defense ends up having to do. You know, we talked about in the Colorado State game, and I don't know if it's because we were actually there watching it live, and that was one of the few games we've been able to watch live this season, but, you know, it... It's one of those things where there were so many times where they were running cover zero or cover one and they weren't taking enough deep shots. But when they did and they were success, they were a lot of them more successful. Then we started seeing some opening up on cover two. And what that did was open up the run game and the screen game and and the underneath routes like the, the short crossers. And, you know, we actually saw a balanced offense. Well, that's what I was end goal wants to be right. Run a balanced offense where you're throwing the ball you know, 25 times per game, run the ball 30, 35 times per game and having a lot of success and efficiency in both regards. But, you know, the passing game has to be a good complement for the running game and the running game, you know, has to be able to be effective once they are able to get those lighter boxes. Um, And we, what we've seen from Iowa's offense in the run game so far this season, when that's been the case where they have been able to actually have some opportunities to get even numbers or maybe a numbers advantage in the box. They have been pretty successful. Um, they have been able to bust off some big runs. So, you know, th- that's the ultimate goal. And we've seen it at times this season. But as opposed to last year, it's been f- few and far between. Um, and, you know, I want to say this was a step in the right direction, but I'm not a buyer. I'm not going to buy into that yet, especially when Northwestern's defense is as bad as they are. I think that's another thing we have to really measure expectations against. I mean, this Northwestern defense is awful. So, you know, the running game doing as well as it did. And, you know, all that said, they still scored 17 points at the end of the game. 17 points. That's all they need to get to, right? <laughs> right? I, I, I feel like I remember something about saying they just need 17, right? And, that, and that's what it took. Now, we saw these improvements, and that's, that's what's frustrating to me a little bit is, like, I go back and rewatch, and in that second quarter especially, or really once – Pitya was entered we saw so many nice wrinkles and so many changes that we've been asking for from this team and it still only led to 17 points without any turnovers you know it's not like they were in scoring position and and missed a kick or you know turned the ball over it was just 17 points flat out and that's what was really frustrating to me was seeing how, oh, they're doing these things I really like. Padilla was delivering some on-time and on-target passes. Tyler Goodson was getting going at times in the run game. And then it just came to an absolute screeching halt in that second half. And I I thought the play calling changed a little bit, but it it wasn't massively different, but they stopped getting some of those plays. And that's what worries me is, Against that defense, if you're getting 17, you know, what do they do down the stretch? Not that they're facing amazing defenses these last few games, but this Minnesota defense is better. You know, the Nebraska defense is much more athletic than this Northwestern defense. So they've got to find ways to be able to put up more than a few scores a game. They have to be able to get some consistency and get those back-to-back scores. And right now, you just feel like those are so few and far between. Yeah, I'm not a buyer. You know, we had a podcast talking up Brian Ferentz, but right now, I'm just not a buyer in him because 
what happened, what had to happen was they had to put their backup quarterback in the game because their starting quarterback was hurt or not playing effective, whatever you want to call it. And that alone, that decision alone, shoehorned an offense that we should have already been seeing, at least elements of an offense that we should have already been seeing throughout the entire year. And it just never appeared. So what happens as Padilla grows a little bit more confident? Say he's the start of the rest of the season and he has more games under his belt, more and more games. And he has been in the system for quite a while. And he was part of that quarterback battle with Spencer Petras where he was getting, you know, his share of uh, first team reps and, and his chance to start. Um, what happens when they start, you know, saying, OK, well, now he's settled in. Let's revert back to what um, was going and just see if maybe he can make what we want to uh, have happen early in the season just work. You know, it, I would hate for that to happen, but it almost kind of feels inevitable at this point. Yeah, you just feel like, you know, they're going to go backwards. And and also what happens is as the defense um, game plans for him, because obviously the defense is going to have some slightly different thoughts, slightly different plays based on Padilla being in there versus Petrus, you know, for good and bad. You know, the defense isn't going to maybe have to worry about some of the the deep out stuff, but they might have to worry about the rollout game a little bit more or some of the quick pass stuff. So good and bad, now the defense for Minnesota is preparing for a different style, theoretically, for that Iowa could run. Um, and I really hope we see more of what we saw when he first went in the game, that variety of mixing up some of those formations and getting different looks to break tendencies, some of those quick throws, and some of the different run looks that they can get against a defense for Minnesota that's going to be better than this Northwestern defense they just saw. Yeah, and you know, it's not a hard game plan against if this is the exact offense from Iowa we're going to see next week and just sort of, you know, obviously different play calls and different situations and things like that. But if the essence of it is the same, it's not a difficult offense to defend. You know, it's a timing-based offense at this point. You know, so what you have to do, send blitzes out of awkward locations. You know, drop guys who are threatening the blitz um, and just have them as droppers. Um you know, you can't trigger from the safety spot. You don't have that. I don't think that luxury at this point, if, if the Iowa pa- uh, play action game is going to be as strong and as effective as it was this past week, or if it even going to is, even if it is going to be, you know, the presence that it was this past week, it doesn't even need to be that effective. As long as there's that, th- there's that threat, you know, it has to be respectable. Um, but you know, let's transition right into Minnesota. Now that we're kind of talking about it, um, you know, their game plan, again, like I said, it's going to be able, it's going to be trying to disrupt Padilla's timing. So it's going to be jumping a lot of those quick and breaking routes, um, you know, dropping from awkward locations, blitzes from awkward locations. That's how you disrupt a timing based offense. And because of that, I think Padilla's legs, you know, he's not a runner, but I think there's some times in this game where he might be in a position to pick up a key third down with his legs and, It'll be interesting to see if he actually is able to make those kinds of plays. Being able to get Iowa out of, you know, instead of second and 12, getting it to second and seven. And that's such a big difference if he can, you know, maybe it's avoid a sack or, you know, scramble out of a play and pick up three or four yards instead of losing five or six. And it's going to be, you know, really imperative that this offensive line keeps him protected and keeps him clean because we can... You know, you watch Petrus on film, you can see over the last few weeks that him getting hit all those times affected 
his play. It affected where her, his eyes were. Not necessarily that he was dropping his eyes to the pass rush, but he he wasn't going to wait for that long developing play to happen. He was going to take the quick one if it was there at all because, I mean, he was just getting clobbered over and over again. And no matter how tough you are, no matter how experienced you are, you know, that's going to take its toll. We've watched number one NFL draft picks, you know, their careers just plummet because their team can't protect them and they just get hit over and over again and it shatters the way they play. And I'm not saying that's where Spencer Petrus is or was at, but it clearly was affecting how he was having to see the field because he was not cutting loose on some of those plays that he maybe did toward the end of last year or even earlier in this year because he just didn't trust his protection for good reason. So now we have to keep, they have to keep Padilla clean, you know, and maybe it's rolling the pocket. You know, it's those increased increased play action looks. It's those quick passes, things that can get him in rhythm and keep the defense from pinning its ears back and knowing exactly where he's going to be in the pocket. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it like it really is a thing of whether or not, you know, it's just I don't know. I don't even know what to really expect from this Iowa offense at this point. What I kind of hope continues is they get hunting. That's what you expect. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of punting. And speaking of a lot of punting, the under this week. Oh, my God. Thirty (laughs) seven. It said it at thirty seven. And I I realized like Minnesota's offense, they've they've uh, had a lot of injuries dealt to them. Right. Like they've gone through like feels like 100 running backs already. Um, Tanner Morgan sucks. They lost Rashad Bateman last year into the draft. Um, they probably lost a tight end, too. It feels like they always have a tight end. But man, 37 almost feels just so disrespectful, but it's almost like you have to take the under. You know what I mean? I mean what has Iowa shown all year? Just like take just hammering the under. I, I need to go back and take a look. What what happens if you just you know, had a unit every game on the Iowa under, not necessarily rolling it over, but just hammer that under every single time because that's where they've lived. And it's where the offense has lived. It's where the defense has lived. And I'm with you. It seems like, all right, you have to expect something to happen. But, I mean, is it really that much of an expectation for this team to put up 24 points and give up 13? Like, that that seems high scoring. Yeah. That seems like, Ooh, 24 points, you know, like, and what's crazy is they just got done, you know, toward the start of the season. I think they were on a stretch of like nine or 10 straight games of at least 25. And now you feel like if we can just get to 17, if we can just get to 20, you know, I'm not going to say 17 for this one, but you know, I'm that, saying that 17 20 for point, this no, one. <laughs> that 20 point number seems pretty good. Like I, I'd feel pretty good maybe about that. And as you said, Minnesota has been dealt a rash of injuries and especially at running back and their lead receiver, uh, Chris Ottman bell, he's should be playing this game, but he's been in and out of the lineup as well. So man, just yeah. The under sounds awful saucy to that this, this time. I like 17 points. If Iowa can score 17 points. <laughs> You're doing it this time. Yes, I am. It's going to, you know, I will give my prediction because I've had my eye on this number. It's going to be 17 to 10 or 17, 13. 
You know, it's good. I feel like Iowa scores 17 points, win or lose. And I do think it's probably going to be a win. I definitely don't like that spread. Uh, but it, they're just daring you to take the over in this game. Just thinking like, you know, well, we've seen Minnesota do well on offense at times this year. Well, yeah, it's not against Iowa's defense. I'll tell you that much. And, um, you know, like I said, Tanner Morgan is it. He's horrible. Uh, I remember two years ago, there was talks about him um, being a potential first round pick uh, from uh, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper. Like he was one of their preseason, you know, maybe a sleeper to bust into the first round conversation. No, that was there was never a chance for this guy. Um, and, you know, he I, I know Illinois defense is actually kind of feisty and like they're actually pretty decent. You know, Illinois gets a lot of, you know, gets shit on a lot. Um, as far as a Big Ten competitor. But now they've had a number of games where their defense has really saved them and shown out. Um, so, you know, North, our Minnesota struggling on defense or on offense against Illinois this past week. You know, I will say that number, that six number, that uh, six point number is a little bit misleading because there's a number of times where Minnesota had drives going and they tried to go for it on fourth down just because they thought they were out of it. And, you know, they didn't convert the, convert the fourth down, but there were still times where they were able to move the ball at least somewhat. Um, but what, do, what are your takeaways when you look at Minnesota just as a whole? Because it kind of feels like this team, you know, they were ranked this past week. Probably not anymore. I didn't even really check. But um, they, and they never really felt like a top 25 team. They don't even feel like a top 50 team to me. I mean, they don't have really – their best win is Nebraska. <laughs> I mean, they just, they don't have a lot of, you don't, you look at their schedule or their, their games played and there's nothing that jumps out. It's like, oh, that's a really good win Purdue. for them. It's just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Purdue rainstorm and the monsoon. game. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Yeah. I mean, the Purdue game is a good win for them in the rain. You know, they were able to beat Northwest or uh, beat. <laughs> yeah. Like Nebraska, you just, I'm, I'm sitting here staring at it right now. They were able to beat like, Northwestern while losing to Bowling Green as 31 point favorites. <laughs> yeah. Like I just, you know, they beat Maryland. Okay. I mean, not that Iowa, right. I mean, Iowa has at least Iowa state's a solid team. Penn state's a solid team. At least they've got some wins like that. This, Nor- this Minnesota team just doesn't have that. And you know, coming off that loss to Illinois looks like a real struggle, especially with all their injuries. You know, you throw that on top and and talk about a regression when you look at Tanner Morgan. Think back to that sophomore season of his where he's flinging the ball everywhere. You know, they come into Iowa City and they're undefeated <laughs> and, you know, doing all these big things and just shows you what a couple special receivers can do. You know, because that's what he had. He had two special receivers that season. And without those guys, this offense looks completely different. And they don't have a superstar running back that they were expecting to have. Now, I will say I do like uh, some of their offensive linemen, especially in the inside. So at center and at guard, um, I think they do some good things. And, And to their credit, they're still running for big numbers. I mean, they're still putting up. 200 yards rushing a game pretty frequently. So even going way down the depth chart to a couple freshmen, they're still able to run the ball. But it's just a team that, I mean, do you think P.J. Flex is going to come into Kinnick Stadium and get a win? The used car salesman? Yeah, I just, that part, I 
I just can't convince myself of that. And when I think back to so many Iowa games, how many times does a team beat Iowa if they can't just, you know, out physical them at one of the points of attack? And I just don't think this Minnesota team can do it. And I don't see PJ Fleck coming into Iowa City, coming into Kinnick Stadium and winning. And all I hope is that Iowa's up pretty big and at the end of the game just decides to use a few more of those timeouts. <laughs> That would be that would be a, a perfect cinematic way to end this this game that's doomed to be just ugh. I mean, can Iowa's offense just score twenty? I that's all I really want twenty points. Um, I'm not greedy. This isn't being greedy. <laughs> I just want something to happen in the second half of a game where you know I'm actually in, enthralled by what's going on. I, I, other than interceptions, which I assume I was going to get three of or three turnovers in this game, I feel like they're going to hit that goal number that Phil Parker likes to throw out there. You know, I was offense, even with Padilla in there. I just I, I I'm tempering my expectations. Like I said, we talked about all the spark that Padilla brought to the offense. You know, a lot of people have been talking about this, this spark. Yeah, for 17 points against Northwestern. I mean, that's all it led to. So <laughs> what happens when a, de- a defense now, again, gets a week to prepare for Alex Padilla, knows what kind of things that I was probably likely to lean on and, and run. And, you know, I was defense, I think is going to come correct no matter what, because this Minnesota's offense, I think, plays right into their strengths. But, you know... <laughs> Iowa's offense isn't going to put up points unless the defense sort of dictates that you have to score. But if Iowa does some of the things that they had Padilla do early in that game, they have a recipe to get to that 20-point number. And then, you know, what I think is going to happen, I think Charlie Jones, I've probably mentioned it almost every, I think he's going to get one of those touchdowns finally uh, on a kick return or a punt return. I think he's finally going to be able to punch one in and kind of boost that score for Iowa a little bit. I just really hope to see this offense make that progression with Padilla and and do some of those quick throws, do some of the play action, you know, just consistent play action and just let him live off of that. And that will help their run game as well. And if they do that, then we're looking in the in the 20s, my gosh, college football, and we're praying for the 20s. Uh, but that's where we're at right now, and that's where I'm going to just have to to live with. You know, until this Iowa team can prove prove otherwise. I mean, yeah, this under is set so comically low that you could pick um, the Jacksonville Jaguars versus the New York Giants in the NFL with NFL players, and the over under would be set higher than thirty seven and a half. Um, you could pick any two teams in the NFL, and they would be set higher than thirty seven. Um, it's just comical, and and Iowa, you know, they they play. Uh, I love in the off season, like when draft comes around, um, they're talking about Iowa's offense, um, based on a prospect or something like that, and they always say a pro style offense. Uh, how they don't score? <laughs> this is just a uh, a disaster of an offense year in and year out. It kind of feels like. Well, we just said all all last week on the podcast that this was just going to be a really ugly game in Northwestern and it proved to be um, as ugly. every bit, every <laughs> bit of ugly. And I, you know, being back in Kinnick stadium, not on that wet long grass at Northwestern, 
in front of uh, 3,600 people. There, there is going to be an advantage now, you know, back in Kinnick Stadium. And, I, you know, I'm going to go optimistic. I think they get to the mid-20s, but but I did say I think they're going to get a, a special team score. So maybe, <laughs> maybe not offensive, like totally optimistic, but I do think they just, they ride with, hey, this is what we're going to do with Padilla. And hopefully just this is what we're going to do with the offense beyond just him at quarterback. And if he can play with the rhythm he played last week, then this team is going to win. They're going to beat Minnesota. All right, give your prediction. Uh, final score, cover, over, under. Let's hear it all, man. <laughs> so so final score, we've got Iowa 24, Ooh. Minnesota 13. So I've got 24-13, so I've got a cover, and I've got the illustrative push. On the 37. Uh, uh, you need to find a book with 37 and a half, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I've got to shop around a little bit, which <laughs> which can be done. So I, that's where I think this game ends up. Uh, I don't think Minnesota is very good in several situations. I think they have too many injuries, too much inconsistency with their quarterback play to beat a team like Iowa. And on offense, I think Iowa does enough things and they're going to continue getting. Keegan Johnson, Arlen Bruce, and you know Charlie Jones really all involved more and more and find those spots for Tracy. So getting him in the slot for some of those play-action skinny posts, things like that, that can utilize his skill set. So I think that's where this offense starts to slide to, and it's a good change. They need to make those changes of more, more one-read throws. What I would just do is I would, uh, I would ignore... Charlie Jones, Tyron Tracy, Nico Organi, and just give the ball a hundred times to Arlen Bruce, Keegan Johnson, and Tyler Goodson and Sam Laporta. I, I give the ball to your best players who you know can make plays. Keegan Johnson can run a number of routes. Just find a way to get the ball in Arlen Bruce's hands. He'll pick up seven every single time. Tyler Goodson, you know, outside of the running game, he's just a good. Uh, it's a good way to manipulate and manufacture separation on routes where the defense might not be expecting it. Um, and he's subtle enough to once he gets some verticality going, you know, he can make some plays as just as a mover. Um, and Sam Laporta, I think, in a lot of these play-action uh, plays, it sort of benefits because he has that blocking and pass-catching identity. That should be the offense right there. You know, uh, Tyrone Tracy, I, I like the idea, the concept of being able to diversify and spread it around. But... If we're not running these long form plays and we're not going through these, you know, one, two, three progressions, check down like we've been having Spencer do all this time, you need to draw up plays for the guys who can make them. And what we know is those those four guys are our best playmakers, hands down, without a doubt. They should be touching the ball more than anybody else um, and be in their own little tier for targets. You think we see... Um... I mean, they've been going so often, especially on like third down or second down and long, that uh, screen to Arlen Bruce, whether he's out wide or in the slot. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe they're setting up another one of those fake the screen, throw deep plays. Absolutely. Because we we saw him in the slot uh, catch one this week. So it's I think it's a situation as they move him around and he's been such a consistent target, especially on those third down and long plays where they throw that quick screen to him. I really think we're going to see that, whether it's this week or, or in the upcoming weeks. But I expect a situation where you're thinking, okay, Iowa might be running that uh, receiver screen, that tunnel screen look, and fake it to Bruce and send 
you know, somebody, whether it's a receiver or Laporte at tight end deep, uh, I think this would be a good game maybe to break that out just to kind of give defenses another thing to think about with how much they're starting to use him. Yeah, I think a smart wrinkle right out of the gate, whether it's the first drive or second drive, would be to uh, employ that drag screen with the freeze offensive line um, releasing out to the second level um, out of empty because that seems like it's the most kind of abnormal structure that they run it out of. And then once you have that sort of in their minds with Arlen Bruce aligned in a certain way on a certain side of the field, then you run the fake and then you go to Keegan Johnson down the field. Or, you know, maybe that is a situation right there where you utilize Charlie Jones's speed. But yeah, on that kind of thing, I think that would be perfect call to fake because we saw that a lot, that freeze drag screen um, against Northwestern. So now, you know, Minnesota's definitely game planning for it. Um, whereas defenses of the past were kind of maybe considering it, but it wasn't like a part of Iowa's sort of base offense. It was just something that they used that was effective when they did. But you kind of live with that because, you know, you're not going to sell out for that and, and, and play extra precautions and hurt against uh, your run defense to try to defend against that. Um, but yeah, if, if Iowa abuses that right out of the gate, I think it definitely opens up a shot down the field. And, you know, again, matchups are important. These Minnesota corners aren't guys who play trail technique very tightly. A lot of their corners on the outside are going to face guard. So if you have the matchup, you have the safety alignment right. Yeah, pull the trigger on it. Putting points on the board. Here we go. Yeah, this is exciting. We're talking ourselves <laughs> into things that will never happen. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, the Iowa offense and this Iowa team is has just been a... Uh, I don't even know what you can call it. A, a just a interesting season with, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, speechless. It's, it's well, it's just been, you know, <laughs> frustrating, um, annoying, head scratching, annoying. All, all of those irritants that you can think of um, has been what this offense has done for a bulk of the season. So, uh, you know, here's to trying to get something going against Minnesota and, you know, it's still just a two loss team. So there's still a lot ahead of them in terms of that, which is crazy to think. Yeah. And, you know, maybe, uh, Minnesota or Wisconsin can lose some point and Iowa runs the table and all of a sudden it just, it, you know, <laughs> I was staring at a big 10 title game where they play somebody out of the East and get slaughtered. But <laughs> no, I yeah, I have no clue. I have no idea what to expect. Um, you know, we're one year removed from this Iowa. What what were they like second in the Big 10 in, in points per game? Um, I mean, that's that that just feels like a a fever dream at this point. Yeah, I mean, they're got to be close to second to last this year. I mean, especially if you think of offensive points, take away what the defense has done. Um, I'm pretty sure they're last in like yards per play, or maybe it's um, expected points per play. And it's just been so ugly in so many stances. So they need to get something going, try to figure out some of these new wrinkles with, with, especially with some of those freshmen. And, you know, speaking of freshmen uh, with what Connor Colby's doing at, at guard uh, has been an improvement lately too. So that that's got to help get things going as well. Yeah, I'm looking at their their results from last season. They didn't score under 20 one time. Um, they scored over 20 in every single game. The two games where they did score exactly 20, they lost. Um, 
I mean, it, it's just, it's one of those things that just feels like so long ago and with so many different players, but it really wasn't all that different. You know, the offensive line is really the only thing that changed. So, you know, we talked about last year on the pod throughout the year. We kind of felt like the offensive line for Iowa last season masked a lot of the things that Brian Ferentz was trying to call because they were just so damn good. But this is this is kind of where like your coordinator is able to really make his money and make his value known, um, adjusting to that kind of thing. And what we saw from Padilla in the play calling in the first half, especially this past week, is how you mitigate a bad offensive line. You manufacture separation. You make progressions fast. And yeah, you can run some of those long developing plays in the high, low read, one, two, three, check down. But you have to have an element of that fast pace, one progression, go offense in there. And, you know, here's to uh, maybe that uh, is what happens against Minnesota. I doubt it. <laughs> well, you know, fingers crossed. And look, we're all going to tune in and watch and, and see what happens anyway. So, um I'm an, I'm gonna stay optimistic because I I just don't need the rest of my week being a bummer. Yeah, I I I like being optimistic, but it's slowly but surely it's getting sapped out of me. <laughs> but you know I I'm, I'm gonna stay on the optimistic side. You know I I'm I'm revamping my prediction. Ooh, thirty one points for Iowa, <laughs> seven for Minnesota. <laughs> We're throwing a parade. They get to 31 points. There might be a parade. There, um, yeah. Um, I'll lead it. I'll get the <laughs> I'll get the lights flashing. We'll pull in, you know, sirens, lights. Let's go. Yeah. You know, uh, I I don't know if it's going to be all Iowa's offense doing it. It's probably going to be a Charlie Jones touchdown. It's probably going to be a, uh, uh, um, who else? Let's see. Uh, Dane Belton pick six. A Justin Jacobs fumble, forced fumble near the, uh, Minnesota's goal line. That's how I kind of think this happens. But I'm going for it. I'm going for the over. I'm going for Iowa covering an alternate spread of minus 14. I love it. This, that's how we're ending. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to find what that line is and uh, take take a look at that by, uh, by night's end. Excellent. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we've reached the point where we're going to spare your ears from this absolute nonsense. But I actually kind of mean it in a way. I do think Iowa, you know, I, I've talked myself into it at this point. Um, 31 points. Book it. All right. Book it. But that said, we will see you all in a future podcast. Take it easy.